Welcome to the Podcast Advertising Playbook, a show dedicated to podcast advertising. If you're a podcaster or an advertiser and you're wondering how you can take advantage of this rapidly growing space, you're in the right place. On the program, we'll discuss strategies and techniques to optimize your experience with podcast advertising. Hello and welcome to the Podcast Advertising Playbook. I'm your host, Heather Osgood, and I am joined by my good friend, Brian Barletta. Brian, welcome to the show. Yeah, thanks for having me back. Yeah, so you are my first returning guest. So congratulations on being a two-time Podcast Advertising Playbook guest. That's, that is awesome. I am very excited to have that title. So, Brian, you started the Sounds Profitable newsletter and subsequent products just about a year ago. Is that right? Yeah, it was uh, September 2020. And uh, it started as a newsletter. January 2021, we launched the podcast. Now we're in Spanish. Now we have our product deep dives. And it's, it's all fun. It's exploring podcast ad tech and trying to educate as many people as possible. That's so cool. I was realizing when I was preparing for this interview that it had been just over a year. And I was like, gosh, that is, it feels like it's been way longer than that, probably to you more than anyone. But (laughs) what would you say that you've kind of learned in the last year in putting together all of the content that you have around the podcast ad tech space? I think that there's so many people interested in improving their knowledge about podcast ad tech, which is really exciting. Because I think generally in ad tech, it's uh, a confusing mess of spaghetti that nobody really knows how any of it works. And it's easy to just kick the can down the line. But with podcasts, there's so much room for people to just learn and be at the top of the space right now. And there are people that get that and want to be here. And so providing an on-ramp, I had to to even work harder to provide even a more base on-ramp but still driving that content for the mid to upper tier of the people who want to educate themselves. It's been really interesting. It's, it's been exciting to see how many people actually care about it and realize how much influence they can exert in this space yet because it's still forming on that side. I think that that is so fascinating. And I agree with you wholeheartedly. I think that's why I love the industry so much because you have every person in the industry has the ability to have an impact in the space. And I was thinking about it the other day and I was like, gosh, if instead of being in podcasting, I was in digital marketing, let's say. So let's say I decided to open a digital marketing firm. Where would I be and how would I be really contributing to the digital marketing space? So that's not to say that I couldn't have a contribution there or lots of people haven't and and aren't going to make great big impacts there. But how amazing is it to be part of this industry where literally we are building the industry right now, I would think like brick by brick and just coming up with, it's almost like the whole industry is in this constant creation space about, you know, what works? Does this work? Oh, oh, that doesn't work so well. How about let's try this? Does that work? Well, what happens when these new players come into the space? Like, how is that reinventing us? And so it's this constant process of, of education, like you said, having to learn what is actually happening and having to stay on top of what's happening. But then also, I think what is amazing is being able to step up and say, hey, this is my perspective. This is my experience. And this is what I've found. And really everyone working together in that um, way and that knowledge sharing, I think, is what's really helping the industry grow. Would you agree with that? Yeah, there's less concern about working or talking in the open. I mean, 
you know, I've talked to brands who effectively have been pitched the same plan from three agencies and they bring that up and they say, yeah, because this works. And then we innovate from there and our what differentiates us is our customer service and our specific relationships and things like that. And then people are posting about it. People are sharing in articles and podcasts their strategy because at the end of the day, if everybody succeeds, more advertisers come into the space. We're not yet at that crunch. And I don't think the people who are here today are ever really gonna need to be at each other's throats fighting for business because at some point it'll be us versus like the incumbents and ad tech and the major holding companies and they already fight between themselves. We just need to prove and continue to prove that we're not them and that we really care about the connection here and that we really care about the the whole space overall. They're going to be the influx of money and we need to guide them in. So it's, I agree with you fully. It, it really is a community and it's not just a cliche line. Yeah, I, I totally agree. And I love that. Like, we just need to guide the money in. Let's like just bring it. We can do that, right? <laughs> yeah. One of the things that I have loved about the content you've created, as well as the perspective that you've taken, is that because you aren't so, because you are your own brand, right? You are Sounds Profitable. You have this opportunity to really be a very neutral party in this space. And what you have done that I think has been really instrumental is that you do call folks out when you feel like perhaps maybe, you know, there's some some questioning that needs to happen. You're very good at being direct. At, and then also, you know, I, I believe that you've got a good heart behind everything you're doing and that your intentions really are to help the space grow. How do you feel like that's influenced the kind of information that you're able to bring to the space? And how has that maybe changed the conversation? I, you know, i butted heads with people a lot of my career. Like I've been in ad tech for a long time and I, you know, I'll raise something up and say like, hey, this isn't how it's supposed to work or we need to to figure out a better way to do this. And unfortunately, you know, if things are generating revenue and it would hurt a relationship to challenge something, it's very hard to do that. So with Sounds Profitable, with the support of all the great sponsors like yourself, I get to talk about these things. And as long as I'm not being negative and I'm pointing out the positive, I'm explaining the situation. I'm basically empowering everybody to look around and say like, oh, we agree with this point of view. It can get better. And then it doesn't mean that anybody has to really stick their neck out, right? Like I'm not out there accusing anybody of anything. That doesn't help. I'm out there saying like, what about a different perspective? This is how it works. But what happens if we looked at it differently? And by more people finding the ability to join in with a neutral voice, we can move things along more easily than a single company stepping up and saying it couldn't do. I, I'm reminded of um, NPR had their rad spec all about listening. And I don't know if we're necessarily going to get there. And I and I think that we need to move the conversation away from listens in general and podcasting. But I think the big thing for me is that that was really hard because it had NPR's name on the front of it. Now it had Libsyn and it had a bunch of other companies and PodTrack, for example, sign into it, but it still had a forerunner. Mm -hmm. And when you do that, it feels like it's coming from one company. So it's hard for competitors or people who see themselves as competitors to those partners to buy into that because there's no neutral glue. And so I've really had like, it's the privilege, I'd say. I don't know many other people that get the opportunity to just like connect people and be that glue and be like, I understand you see each other as potentially competitive, but you're struggling with the same problem with the same people. And if we unify that voice, we can stop that problem as an industry not only for the two of you, but for everybody to come next. So it's 
it's been a big focus when I write to make sure that everything I do can be a tool for someone to answer a question or to stop dead a misunderstanding or to really drive innovation. It's so cool to be able to do that. Yeah, I totally agree. And if you have not subscribed to Brian's newsletter, I highly recommend that you do. If you are interested at all in in podcast advertising and ad tech specifically in the podcast space, you really do need to be on his newsletters. They are very in-depth. I have one of my new employees reading two of your articles and giving me summaries on them. And she told me today, she's like, man, these are kind of in depth. I'm like, that's why I'm having you read that. <laughs> so it's it's a good curriculum. So I'm curious when you look back in the past year, and obviously you've been in the pod- podcast space for for much longer than a year, but what has surprised you most in terms of an advancement that has been made or an acquisition that has been made? What has surprised you most in the last year? Anything come to mind? I think that the speed at which we all felt things moving, maybe at the end of last year where all the acquisitions happened, the reforming of those mega companies hasn't happened as fast as I thought it would, right? Like, I think that, like, I, I, the Sirius XM stack, the iHeart stack, and the Spotify stack are all very impressive. They have a lot of companies under each of them, and they've made some big announcements, some of them going back two years now. iHeart made their marketplace announcement, I believe, two years at this point. And now they're just getting to the point where the Triton tool, the Spreaker Voxness tool, and the Omni Studio tool are going to start making that up. But I think the way everybody talked, the way everybody was acquiring things and the momentum that each individual company had, I'm honestly shocked by all three of those companies that we haven't had more come up. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. I feel like that's such a good observation because I I totally agree with you. When I've seen those formations come together, I'm like, man, that's like, that's really going to disrupt something. And then it doesn't seem like it does. So it's really yeah. interesting. It's almost like, you know, you see an acquisition happen or you see, you know, these companies stacking together all of these partners. And I keep thinking, okay, what's going to happen? What's going to happen? And then nothing really seems like it has happened very significantly. I do think it's really been fascinating how the different companies coming into this space have brought their culture into organizations that they've acquired. But I, I mean, my feel is, is that it takes much longer to integrate the elements maybe than a large corporation thinks. Do you feel like that could be contributing to it? Yeah, I, I feel like the culture thing can happen faster than the tech. I guess the, yeah. the examples that I brought up are tech. Like, look at even the Anchor acquisition to where we are with the Anchor announcement now. Like, that is a big deal. But the momentum and the progress that Anchor was making, it feels like it's not, it doesn't match the time frame, right? They had momentum. They were kind of pulled off the table. Same with Megaphone. It's not saying it's not making progress, but it just feels like they stopped and did inventory for a year, right? They like really reassessed everything and, and the industry hurt from that because that momentum just disappeared from the limelight. There wasn't product announcements the same way. But you know, when you just said that example, a culture one, and I want to give a, a nod to this, Libsyn acquired advertise cast. And you can see in every movement Libsyn has made since then that the culture of advertise cast is being very visible throughout that entire company. And it's it feels like a rebrand. And it, yeah. it's very cool. There's not a ton of tech that needs to be integrated. It's a lot of operational stuff that works for each team that needs to be adopted. But at the end of the day, two people can connect over Slack and accomplish their goals. It's not massive infrastructures talking to each other. 
And I think the culture aspect can integrate quicker, but the tech, that's where those three giants are, are caught up. That's why Odyssey just uh, acquired a wide orbits uh, yeah, publisher side for podcasting and they have Podcorn. And like Podcorn was another one that was like, like a rocket ship. And then we just don't hear about it. And that doesn't mean they're not doing great, but it's just like, I liked hearing about it. It, it really showed how many independent things were moving and growing in the space and pulling it off that limelight kind of made the industry feel slow for some of this year. That is so interesting. I love that observation. And I do think that part of what happens is that when you are starting a company, like I remember it was, I think it was at Podcast Evolutions in LA. I saw podcorn stuff everywhere. I was like, where did this podcorn company come from? And yeah. like I was talking to people you know, the podcasters and they're like, oh man, Podcorn is like beating my door down to get me on the platform. Like they were really aggressive. So I think what happens in that startup environment, you need to make a splash. You need to say like, hey, here we are. But the minute that you get acquired by a large company, they have, you know, a hundred irons in the fire. Yeah. Even though you're important enough for them to acquire you, you're not important enough for them to create the same kind of energy around you as that startup environment did create. And I think you're totally right. And how often, you know, just in acquisitions in general, does that happen where a company gets acquired and then it just kind of goes flat because all of that passion and energy isn't there. My guess is, obviously, there are certainly companies like Spotify and iHeart um, and Odyssey. I mean, they're all putting a lot of focus yeah. into podcasting. It's not like they don't care about it, but they're approaching it in a very different way. And also, there's a lot more people, right? You know, oh, you've yeah. got a small group uh, in a startup culture. There are people that are going to wave that flag, whereas in a bigger environment, it's like, well, is it, are you waving the flag or are you waving the flag? Like, you know, I think it's easy to just pass that off. I also really find that there is not nearly enough good marketing done in podcasts, period. I don't think, and I'm not talking about podcasts advertising yeah. their show. I'm talking about podcast companies. When you look at the content that's created, when you look at the presence out there online, podcast companies do a really poor job of marketing themselves. Um, do you sure agree do. with that? <laughs> I super do. I think that, and that's one of the things I've started to work on with with some of my. Uh, the, we have a one advertisement spot on Sounds Profitable title sponsor or title sponsorship, I guess we call it. And each month, I when I whenever a new one comes on, I say like, "Hey, have you ever released a report that you thought was really cool, but it fell flat? Can we talk about it on the podcast? Because I guarantee you, if we stop the sale aspect of it and just talk about the the information value, so many people are going to go download it. And that's what happens. We did it with Chartable. It was really awesome. We got one coming with Podsites and Magellan. And I'm really excited about that because these people need to realize that your name being said is important. The data being there is valuable. Someone putting it in their sales sheet is awesome. And then the sales come in. Not everything has to be a sale in every conversation. So yeah, a lot of them aren't great at it. And, and honestly, if you ever want to like roll your eyes a lot, read the press releases. Cause I don't know who they're for. Cause I think it's just me and James Cridlin reading them and they're bad. Like they're, they're like, <laughs> I don't get them. I, I, oh, I, I'm not missing them. I'm sure. On, yeah. On pod news, when he links them, they're, they're like 50% explaining the two companies at the bottom 
And half the time, it's not even relevant to podcasting. Oh, and then the other... Yeah, but, so you're saying like when, I mean, he, the the, the press releases that get linked in pod news yeah. and such. Yeah, that's exactly what we get sent. And it's just like, we're the leader in this. We're number 17. And I was like, man, I don't, like, can you tell me what's cool, right? Uh, ACAST, I give them a hard time about it because they're doing well, but because they could market better, they were like, we have a new long format of ads. And I was like, super cool. Where can I listen to them? And they're like, oh, we'll get back to you. And it's like, what do you mean? Why can't I? Why isn't it interactive? It's audio. Give me an example to listen to. And so I really push all these companies that like, we're in a cool part of the space. Like nobody works in this space who's just like, yeah, check in, check out, leave me alone. I hate podcasts. Because the people who can do that can definitely make more money in another aspect of the space, like an ad tech overall or media. Everybody here kind of cares a little bit. So give them something to interact with, make them feel cool. Yeah, I totally agree. I think there, I feel like there, that, yeah, there's a lot that could be done there. Okay. So now we're going to turn to one of my very favorite topics, dynamic ad insertion. Heck yeah. <laughs> Never miss a, a chance to talk about that. So you wrote an article um, recently, kind of in response to some of the conversations that had happened at the IAB upfront surrounding dynamic insertion. And I, I just want to check in with you and see like, what are some of your thoughts about how we're handling dynamic insertion and how it maybe is or isn't impacting in the way it could? Yeah, I think that for, for the IEB conversation that I, that I focused on, it was a lot around programmatic through DAI. And I think that dynamic ad insertion DAI is, um, it's, it's really valuable because it gives a little bit more markers. When I say all these things that it is valuable, like this isn't dismissing baked in, this isn't dismissing people selling on downloads or all that. I think that any podcaster that can command the prices that they want and the relationship that they want should never feel threatened by the conversation of innovation here. But at some point we got to talk towards the brands and these brands are coming in from a digital background and or programmatic and they want to test things their way. So, you know, when we talk about dynamic ad insertion, we're talking about the mindset of being able to not just say the episode was downloaded and that means every ad counts. It's simply saying there are more markers. We know that the ad was at the 50% marker and because 51% of the episode was downloaded, we can say that ad was downloaded. And that leads into you know a great aspect for attribution and additional tracking that isn't just on the download, it is on the actual impression, which there shouldn't be a massive discrepancy, but it's not unusual to see up to 10% between your download numbers and ad delivery, especially as where the ad is, is further into the episode. But all of these buyers coming from digital right now are in a situation where they're losing access to mobile device IDs. They're losing access to cookies. They understand the importance of audio and the panel that Claire Fanning of SXM Media led was really neat because the focus was on these people are here, they're buying, and they would like to buy more, and they just want you to hear the problems that they're hitting. And those problems were super reasonable. Not enough inventory on there, not enough data being passed with it, and we're not asking for listens. We're not asking for uh, mobile device IDs and cookies. We're just asking for consistency, and we're asking for keywords and transcripts. And then more, um, you know, more understanding of how their flow works, right? These are companies and brand uh, advertisers and brands that are purposely saying, well, I have a little bit of extra budget. I have an audio creative. Let's test it out programmatically. If it works, I will escalate to direct buys. I will put my time and attention towards it. 
And it's not a, uh, it's not somebody being like, well, I spent $250,000 on a campaign through Spotify at $150 CPM. I just want to go get, you know, nickel CPM right now. They're not doing it to drive the price down. They're doing it to see, is this even remotely worth investing in? Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think that that is so interesting. And you're totally right because when people, when advertisers invest in programmatic, it is an easy way to dip the toe in the water and say, yeah. hey, does this work? And if it works at a programmatic level, then what would it do with those host read endorsement ads, which would be even more powerful than that programmatic ad? So I, it's, I think that it does get frustrating sometimes because it feels like marketers are saying, we want to buy ads make it easier for us to do this. And yet nothing in podcasting ever feels easy. <laughs> and part of the reason it never feels easy is because there is so much fragmentation. I don't think that there is enough centralization. And, and granted, of course, these bigger you know corporations that we've just been talking about coming into the space, I think they have one of the better opportunities to help with some of that. What is your prediction on the percentage of programmatic ads that are going to grow in this space? Because, I mean, programmatic has really grown very slowly. Very slow. And, and to your point, you know, in, in commenting on that panel, part of the reason is because there's just not a lot of inventory out there, right? And so if there isn't a lot to buy, then there is not going to be very many buyers. And, you know, I know I've talked to agency owners that have said we would buy way more programmatic if it were available. But, you know, if this podcaster isn't selling us and we we want to be on that show or what have you, then we're not going to buy. I mean, I guess programmatic isn't necessarily designed to be on a show, but it, well, it, it can. But that's the, that's the other sure. misconception. Yeah, yeah it sure. can be a direct deal. You're you're spot on. And I think the the real flaw that we see in this whole thing is that we're an industry built around content with next to no ad tech experience who were asked to build ad tech. Every single platform that serves ad and ads and podcasting does it different. And there's no standard. But in digital ad tech, it's all been beaten into a standard. We don't have that. And I don't see that happening. And then the problem there is that those big Goliaths, like they need to adhere to what the trade desk and Magnite wants as the demand side platform for the agencies and buyers, because no, like the trade desk isn't going to be like, oh, okay, AdsWiz and iHeart and Odyssey and Spotify will uniquely build a path just for your inventory, further fragmenting the total $1 billion available spend in podcasting right now. Like they're not interested in that. It's their game. We have to play by their rules. Right. And we kind of have to get over that ego because instead people are like, ah, well, it's programmatic. But if you log into our platform and buy it there and the people who are smart enough to do that are the people who have a trade desk account, have a magnet account, have all of those. So we have to start following some framework there. And I really think that that would, would move things along. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, I totally agree with you. And I do think that it is, it's so fascinating. So we've had some changes at True Native Media for our staffing. And one of the the fun, fun activities that we get to do on a regular basis is 
because we work with so many different hosting providers, we go into the hosting providers to grab the download numbers for our campaigns, be they dynamic or embedded ads. And so we've had one of our staff member, more senior staff members taking this task on. And she told me this morning, she was like, what is this? This is a mess. It's so time consuming. And every single hosting provider is different. I mean, trying to get even like just trying to get to the right number, you take like 10 different paths. And this is just a very simple task, right? I mean, this should be a very simple task. So when we go up into, you know, the, the ranks of more complex tasks like programmatic ad buying, it would be great if we could have have a standard. Do you think that like the IAB came in and said like, hey, here are the standards for counting downloads? I mean, is and and I think maybe that gets back to part of what we were saying before. It feels like there isn't that. I, I always go back to like an association. There isn't a group that can set standards for the industry. Yeah. Uh, like who who would that be who could step in and say, okay, guys, let's all get together and let's all decide to do this because it will help the entire industry. Well, what's so the IAB spec for how downloads and ad delivery is counted. Um, should make sense. But one of the like one of the big things is it doesn't say how you store your data because it's a guideline, not instructions. And so that's the hard part there. And any company or any partner that says like, hey, here's a format, let's everybody adhere to it. None of the hosting partners that you work with, if they spend development time to build that, it doesn't make them any more money. You know, and so that's the hard part because they're working on features that will make the money. So I don't know if we'll see progress there. But on the programmatic end, there is. It's open RTB. It's older than advertising or than dynamic advertising in uh and podcasting. The the protocol for how inventory makes a connection as a supply side to a demand side has has been a spec for a long time. And these companies just pick and choose what they do want to connect over there because they want your direct business because if you're connecting through the trade desk, it's percentages on percentages on percentages where they can cut out one step if you log in directly. But we get into the same thing. The bigger buyers do not want to be inconvenienced. They right. will eventually, if you say, hey, you can do 99% of it here and it's all there, but that 1% we think is a differentiator and you should log in directly with us. Like That's a cool upsell. But you can't say like, hey, 49% of it is available how you want it. And 51% is how we want it. Because then nobody cares. Like you're building a product for your ego and not to help the space. So I think we're going to see either a big partner like Google come in and take it more seriously and be like, here's an audio ad server that you can stitch into your CDN at any point and just call it a day. And here is a a SSP, DSP relationship. And what we're going to see is some serious challenge to these companies that make money by building their own stacks for something that I can, I could self-host and just set up. Mm-hmm. And so I think that will start to really challenge all of that. But it's not easy. I don't envy it. I mean, when you get shareholders involved, when you get investors involved, you can't think holistically about the space. But I will say that, yeah, I joined the IAB. It's been cool so far. Just like I do in my article, I get to speak about that unbiased point of view. I get to ask for action. I get to talk openly about these things and say, like, we need voices to come out and ask for these things. We need people to champion us on the buyer side as much as on 
the podcast side. And then we need the emails to come from IAB.com to tell someone we're serious, come talk to us. And, and it's, you know, it's moving faster than I thought I would. So I'm, <laughs> I'm really pumped there. That's great. So talking about kind of moving and growing, YouTube just announced that they are hiring their first executive who is going to be overseeing podcasts. Do you know anything or can you share anything about your opinions of what's happening at YouTube? I think that we're going to see more and more from Google in the near future. And now YouTube Music, it's not a paid feature to turn the screen off and listen to it. It's just a free feature. And I don't actually care what app I listen to content in. I just want to be able to search and find good content and, and be able to listen to it. So YouTube has the power of Google behind it. And just because some of the content I like usually has a video component, um, if, I don't, if I'm not missing anything, mm -hmm. then yeah. I now have my preferred audio player. So I think that YouTube is absolutely going to lead the pack. And I think that the biggest mistake they could make is not honoring the RSS feed and not building on top of it because they can, they have the power and they know how to set standards and they could really say, Hey, we want your RSS feed. We're going to send you all the standard data about that. However, if you'd like to log into YouTube and add more on top of that and have the best experience proprietary that won't get sent to your host, but your base data will. Spotify, Apple, Amazon all have to catch up with that, right? This idea that Apple and, and Spotify say like, hey, if you want to do subscriptions with us, you have to upload it into our platform or upload it into Anchor. Like when YouTube says like, hey, we'll take your RSS feed and then you can augment it on us. If they do that, it's a game of catch up. It changes the whole space. It shows that the freedom of RSS is still its core but there is very valid reasons why everyone should be logging into places instead of holding us hostage to have to log into them. Right, right. Yeah, I, I feel like to me, out of all of the acquisitions, out of all of the things that have been happening, I think that YouTube, hands down, has the biggest opportunity to impact the space. And it's because there are so many people that are already there. Obviously, YouTube's owned by Google, so they're all, all together, right? The other thing that I find absolutely fascinating is I would say at least 25% of the people I talk to tell me that they listen to podcasts on YouTube. And that's, yeah. And they're not, and, and they're not podcasts. Like, you know, that it cracks me up because they're really like, like some of the things that people, listen to on YouTube and the podcasts that they listen or watch on YouTube are not actually podcasts, but yet the person creating it feels like it's a podcast and the person listening to it feels like a podcast. So I'm pretty sure it's a podcast, right? Do you, do you think that, like, do you think that it's just that the wording is like, there's no friendly wording for it. Like if you're watching it live on Twitch or whatever, it's a stream and stream has the, like I'm watching a kid play a video game connotation to it. Or like I'm watching someone weirdly eat their dinner. Um, and so maybe people distance away from the stream, but like, what, what do you call it? If it's not, is it uh, uh, like video on demand? Is it, there's no good word for what it is if it's not live. And it's like a person talking into a camera. Right. And so I, I think podcast is a very cool word. To me, if it's based off the RSS feed, if you can dynamically insert podcast ads on it and it goes everywhere, 
I don't care what you listen to it on. I think that if you have to uniquely upload it everywhere, what you kill is the open nature and the, and the publisher ownership of podcasting. And that's what I think about as the central source. There are so many words that get co-opted into everything. And it's kind of cool that podcasts is used so well. But when someone says to you, hey, we want to run a campaign, it'll be half on YouTube, half on this. And you're just like, well, uh, those aren't publishers right. that are interacting in the podcast world. I, oof, okay. Right. <laughs> well, and I will say, gosh, when I started in the industry, I had podcasters that came to me and they were like, well, I'm getting 5,000 downloads, but I'm getting 10,000 like watches of my show on YouTube. And I'm like, okay, that's fine. I mean, an impression's an impression, let's sell it. And so for a while, and gosh, this was back in 2016, I was selling them. And then one day I was like, wait, these are pretty different. Like a, a download on a podcast is pretty different than a view on YouTube. And so I decided to quit selling them because I felt like there, there were too many differences. And I think it's worth more. I'm sorry, say that it maybe which one do you think is worth more? Oh, well, I'm a little biased, but definitely podcast. Okay. <laughs> well, and the reason why, and what I, I say all the time, which I really do stand behind, is that when you listen to a podcast, number one, you have to have the player, which yep. I know most people do, but not everyone, right? So you have to have a player, you have to decide what podcast you're gonna listen to, and then you have to choose the episode. Obviously, you're pushing play. So you were there very intentionally. People don't stumble on podcasts. Yes, of course, there are some streaming services out there where you could just stream podcasts. But in general, most listeners are very intentional. And we know they listen much longer to a podcast. I mean, people, when you look at the stats on YouTube, it's like two minutes or something, yeah. right? So people don't spend that much time watching YouTube videos. They spend much longer on podcasts. So I feel like they are much more qualified, engaged audience, you know, members, because they've had to really fight to get there. Whereas on YouTube, we have all had the experience where you are watching something, something else comes up and you start watching it. And then all of a sudden you're like, why am I watching this? How did I get here? You know, so I just think that there isn't the same intentionality. I also think that we are such an instant, I mean, TikTok has killed us, right? Like, yes. I refuse to download I, it. I, I was going to say, it's not that I'm personally on TikTok, but um, it's very, although I have gotten pretty into reels lately, watching reels on Instagram, because <laughs> they're just so catchy. Yeah, and no, I like, Especially, I love it when it's like the same song and different people doing different things. It's so fun, right? Yeah. But that just kills your attention span. Like we had literally fried the attention span of the American population. So but you're you're so spot on with this, right? So if you think about it, YouTube CPMs are substantially lower than a podcast CPM. And if you look at this, if YouTube becomes a tool that people can listen to podcasts or listen to audio and they figure out a way to get that YouTube video as an audio format that works, capturing the intention and the intent the same way that you're talking about, don't they just make every single impression in YouTube when played audio only theoretically more valuable? Yeah. For both the publisher and, and for them to sell. Yeah, that is very, that's, very true. And that's so exciting because we already have the audience, the install base, the content. Mm -hmm. All we have to do is YouTube just has to capture the different type of experience and really say like, 
hey, if the screen's off or they're not in the app, then it's a podcast play. And if it's on, then it's a video or differentiate it there. And we're going to see what happens. Will we see people convert out? Will you, will podcasts or will audio take over versus video view? Or was there a hybrid approach? And right. I, it's so exciting to see. And I think that YouTube has the opportunity to change this space. They also have the opportunity to follow status quo, make a shitload of money and just call it a day. And, and like giant corporation, I'm not here to like, like tell you not to <laughs> do what you do best, yeah. but like, it would be awesome if one of these big giants just le- reached down and was just like, well, what do you guys want? Because yeah. we would all rally around them. If right. YouTube like comes and sets standards that help us, that protect us from a world if we lose IP address, that make sure that we can better monetize and better represent this, that make sure that we can get into programmatic and represent ourselves better to the bigger digital advertising space, nobody's going to fight against that that's already taking dynamic ad insertion seriously. Right. And right. nobody's going to be like, well, I guess I'll also really put a lot of effort into Spotify, Apple, and Amazon who don't want to even take my phone call. It's totally true. It is totally true. So you too, I'm sure you're listening. <laughs> the ball's in your court. <laughs> yeah. No, I don't know. It's, it's yeah, it's interesting to see what, what's going to happen for sure. Um, I, but I, to me, YouTube is definitely the company that I have my eye on because I feel like they have the biggest opportunity to make the biggest impact because they already have such a huge audience and because people already feel like they listen to podcasts on YouTube. So I don't know. I'm really excited. Now, Spotify just announced their video podcasting roll out. Have you had a chance to dig into any of that? I got it on my docket to read. Yeah. Okay. I, I haven't read, I haven't read <laughs> much of it either, but I did, I did a, um, an informational call with Spotify the other day where they picked my brain about what I thought the industry needed. And they, they asked me a lot of video questions and then the release came out. So we'll see how that, that plays out. Cause I know there's a, a lot of, of, you know, opportunity with Spotify as well. Well, so I guess, you know, just in in kind of wrapping our conversation up today, Brian, um, if you had a magic wand and you could do one thing for the industry right now, what would that be? Oh, man. I honestly, and I hate saying this because a year ago I beat myself up for saying it. I just want Spotify, Amazon, Apple and Google to show up to the IAB meetings. Because the truth is right now that like it is the best place to get all the technical people and all the industry leaders together. There is no other meeting like it. And it's because people have skin in the game. They pay to be there. So they have to be there to drive this industry forward. And without those four players being in those meetings, there's only so much we can do. And we're starting to realize that we might never get them in there. And we're starting to get brands bought into working around them and finding other solutions that are awesome. And that's cool. But we don't need a world where podcasting is those four silos and then actual podcast advertising. We could benefit for one or two of them buying into what we're trying to build overall. Because it's not like we're not going to make all of them even more money if they make our lives easier. It's not like any of them can't make a percentage off of providing a technology fee or uh, selling data or anything, right? There's so much opportunity for them. So 
I think that's it. I think that and the the other thing is, is if your company has a seat and nobody from your company attends, ask your company if you can attend on their behalf, because there is no negative to there being too many people on those calls. Worst case scenario, we have to set up more of them. Right. Right. That's awesome. Love it. Love it. Well, thank you so much, Brian, for being here. And if people would like to connect with you, where's a good place for them to do that? Yeah, they can go to soundsprofitable.com and sign up for the newsletter in English and Spanish. And also the podcast is linked out there as well. And I truly mean it. If you read one of the articles and it just doesn't make sense or you have questions, just hit reply. It goes directly to me. I make time to respond to everybody. I absolutely want to educate everybody in this space. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for being on here and thank you for listening. We are, as you can tell, very excited about what is happening in the podcast advertising industry. I know that great things are still to come, so I'm happy to be here. And if you would like to learn more about podcast advertising, head on over to truenativemedia.com. Thanks so much and have a great day. If you want to learn more about how to be a market leader in podcast advertising, reach out to us at truenativemedia.com.